Chapter Forty One of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Forty One. An Unexpected Visitor at Mara's Cottage. Friend, wilt thou give me shelter here? The stranger meekly saith, My life is hunted. Evil men are following on my path. Mara Rock sat by her lonely fireside. The cottage was not changed in any respect since the day upon which we first of all found her there. There was the same bright little wood fire, the same clean hearth, and the identical faded carpet on the floor. There was the dresser with its glistening crockery ware on the right, and the shelves with Traverse's old school books on the left of the fireplace. The widow herself had changed in nothing except that her clean black dress was threadbare and rusty, and her patient face whiter and thinner than before. And now there was no eager restlessness, no frequent listening and looking toward the door. Alas, she could not now expect to hear her boy's light and springing step and cheerful voice as he hurried home at eventide from his daily work. Traverse was far away at St. Louis, undergoing the cares and trials of a friendless young physician trying to get into practice. Six months had passed since he took leave of her, and there was as yet no hope of his returning, even to pay a visit. So Mara sat very still and sad, bending over her needlework without ever turning her head in the direction of the door. True, he wrote to her every week. No Wednesday ever passed without bringing her a letter, written in a strong, buoyant, and encouraging strain. Still, she missed Traverse very sadly. It was dreary to rise up in the empty house every morning, dreary to sit down to her solitary meals, and drearier still to go to bed in her lonely room without having received her boy's kiss and heard his cheerful good night. And it was her custom every night to read over Traverse's last letter before retiring to bed. It was getting on towards ten o'clock when she folded up her work and put it away, and drew her boy's latest epistle from her bosom to read. It ran as follows St. Louis, December first, eighteen forty. My dearest mother, I am very glad to hear that you continue in good health, and that you do not work too hard or miss me too sadly. It is the greatest comfort of my life to hear good news of you, sweet mother. I count the days from one letter to another, and read every last letter over daily until I get a new one. You insist upon my telling you how I am getting on, and whether I am out of money. I am doing quite well, ma'am, and have some funds left. I have quite a considerable practice. It is true that my professional services are in request only among the very poor, who pay me with their thanks and good wishes. But I am very glad to be able to pay off a small part of the great debt of gratitude I owe to the benevolent of this world, by doing all that I can in my turn for the needy. And even if I had never myself been the object of a good man's benevolence, I should still have desired to serve the indigent, for whoso giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. And I like the security. Therefore, sweet mother of mine, be at ease, for I am getting on swimmingly, with one exception. Still I do not hear from our Clara. Six months have now passed, during which, despite of her seeming silence, I have written to her every week, but not one letter or message have I received from her in return. And now you tell me also that you have not received a single letter from her either. I do not know what to think. Anxiety upon her account is my one sole trouble. Not that I wronged the dear girl by one instant's doubt of her constancy. No, my soul upon her truth. If I could do that, I should be most unworthy of her love. No, mother, you and I know that Clara is true. But, ah, we do not know to what suffering she may be subjected by Lenore, who I firmly believe has intercepted all our letters. Mother, I am about to ask a great, perhaps an unreasonable favor of you. 
It is to go down into the neighborhood of the hidden house, and make inquiries, and try to find out Clara's real condition. If it be possible, put yourself into communication with her, and tell her that I judge her heart by my own, and have the firmest faith in her constancy, even though I have written to her every week for six months without ever having received an answer. I feel that I am putting you to expense and trouble, but my great anxiety about Clara, which I am sure you share, must be my excuse. I kiss your dear and honored hands, and remain ever your loving son and faithful servant, Traverse Rock. I must try to go. It will be an awful expense, because I know no one down there, and I shall have to board at the tavern in Tip-Top while I am making inquiries. For I dare not approach the dwelling of Gabriel Lenore, said Mara Rock, as she folded up her letter and replaced it in her bosom. Just at that moment she heard the sound of wheels approach, and a vehicle of some sort draw up to the gate, and someone speaking without. She went to the door, and listening, heard a girlish voice say, "'A dollar? Yes, certainly, here it is. There, you may go now.' She recognized the voice, and with a cry of joy jerked the door open, just as the carriage rolled away, and the next instant Clara Day was in her arms. "'Oh, my darling, my darling, my darling! Is this really you? Really, really you, and no dream?' cried Mara Rock, all in a flutter of excitement, as she strained Clara to her bosom. "'Yes, it is I, sweet friend. Come to stay with you a long time, perhaps,' said Clara softly, returning her caresses. "'Oh, my lamb, my lamb, what a joyful surprise! I do think I shall go crazy. Where did you come from, my pet? Who came with you? When did you start? Did Lenore consent to your coming? And how did it all happen? But, dear child, how worn and weary you look! You must be very tired. Have you had supper?' "'Oh, my darling, come and lie on this soft lounge while I put away your things and get you some refreshment,' said Mara Rock, in a delirium of joy, as she took off Clara's hat and sack and laid her down to rest on the lounge, which she wheeled up near the fire. "'Oh, my sweet, we have been so anxious about you, Traverse and myself. Traverse is still at St. Louis, love, getting on slowly. He has written to you every week, and so indeed have I. But we neither of us have had so much as one letter in reply.' and yet neither of us ever doubted your true heart, my child. We knew that the letters must have been lost, miscarried, or intercepted, said Mara, as she busied herself putting on the tea-kettle. They must, indeed, since my experience in regard to letters exactly corresponds with yours. I have written every week to both of you, yet never received one line in reply from either, said Clara. We knew it, we said so. Oh, those Lenores, those Lenores! But, my darling, you are perfectly exhausted." and though I have asked you a half and hundred questions, you shall not reply to one of them, nor talk a bit more until you have rested and had refreshment. Here, my love, here is Traverse's last letter. It will amuse you to lie and read it while I am getting tea, said Mara, taking the paper from her bosom, and handing it to Clara, and then placing the stand with a light near the head of her couch, that she might see to read it without rising. And while Clara, well pleased, perused and smiled over her lover's letter, Mara Rock laid the cloth, and spread a delicate repast of tea, milk-toast, and poached eggs, of which she tenderly pressed her visitor to partake. And when Clara was somewhat refreshed by food and rest, she said, "'Now, dear Mamma, you will wish to hear how it happens that I am with you to-night.' "'Not unless you feel quite rested, dear girl. I am rested sufficiently for the purpose. Besides, I am anxious to tell you. And, oh, dear Mamma." I could just now sit in your lap and lay my head upon your kind, soft bosom so willingly. Come then, Clara, come then, my darling, said Mara tenderly, holding out her arms. 
"'No, no, Mamma. you are too little. It would be a sin,' said Clara, smiling. "'But I will sit by you, and put my hand in yours, and rest my head against your shoulder while I tell you about it.' "'Come, then, my darling,' said Mara Rock. Clara took the offered seat, and when she was fixed to her liking she commenced, and related to her friend a full history of all that had occurred to her at the hidden house— from the moment that she had first crossed its threshold to the hour in which, through the courage and address of Capitola, she was delivered from imminent peril. "'And now,' said Clara in conclusion, "'I have come hither in order to get Dr. Williams to make one more appeal for me to the orphan's court. And when it is proved what a traitor my guardian has been to his trust, I have no doubt that the judge will appoint someone else in his place, or at least see that my father's last wish in regard to my residence is carried into effect.' "'Heaven grant it, my child, heaven grant it. "'Oh, those Lenores, those Lenores! "'Were there ever in the world before such ruthless villains and accomplished hypocrites?' said Mara Rock, clasping her hands in the strength of her emotions. "'A long time yet they talked together, "'and then they retired to bed, "'and still talked until they fell asleep in each other's arms. "'The next morning the widow arose early, "'gazed a little while with delight upon the sleeping daughter of her heart, pressed a kiss upon her cheek so softly as not to disturb her rest, and then, leaving her still in the deep, sweet sleep of wearied youth, she went downstairs to get a nice breakfast. Luckily, a farmer's cart was just passing the road before the cottage on its way to market. Mara took out her little purse from her pocket, hailed the driver, and expended half her little store in purchasing two young chickens, some eggs, and some dried peaches, saying to herself, "'Dear Clara always had a good appetite,' and healthy young human nature must live substantially, in spite of all its little heartaches. While Mara was preparing the chicken for the gridiron, the door at the foot of the stairs opened, and Clara came in, looking, after her night's rest, as fresh as a rosebud. "'What, up with the sun, my darling?' said Mara, going to meet her. "'Yes, Mamma. Oh, it is so good to be here with you in this nice, quiet place, with no one to make me shudder. But you must let me help you, Mamma. See, I will set the table and make the toast.' "'Oh, Miss Clara!' "'Yes, I will. I have been ill-used and made miserable. "'And now you must pet me, Mamma, and let me have my own way, "'and help you to cook our little meals, and to make the house tidy, "'and afterward to work those buttonholes in the shirts "'you were spoiling your gentle eyes over last night. "'Oh, if they will only let me stay here with you and be at peace, "'we shall be very happy together, you and I,' said Clara, "'as she drew out the little table and laid the cloth.' "'My dear child, may the Lord make you as happy as your sweet affection would make me,' said Mara. "'We can work for our living together,' continued Clara, as she gaily flitted about from the dresser to the table, placing the cups and saucers and plates. "'You can sew the seams and do the plain hemming, and I can work the buttonholes and stitch the bosoms, collars, and wristbands. And, if the worst comes to the worst, we can hang out our little shingle before the cottage gate, inscribed with, "'Mrs. Rock and Daughter, Shirtmakers,' "'Orders executed with neatness and dispatch. "'We'd drive a thriving business, Mamma. I assure you,' said Clara, "'as she sat down on a low stool at the hearth, and began to toast the bread. "'I trust in heaven that it will never come to that with you, my dear. "'Why? Why, Mamma? Why should I not taste of toil and care, "'as well as others a thousand times better than myself? "'Why should I not work as well as you and Traverse, Mamma? I stand upon the broad platform of human rights, and I say I have just as good a right to work as others, said Clara, with a pretty assumption of obstinacy, as she placed the plate of toast upon the board. Doubtless, dear Clara, you may play at work just as much as you please, but heaven forbid you should ever have to work at work. 
replied Mrs. Rock, as she placed the coffee-pot and the dish of broiled chicken on the table. "'Why, Mama, I do not think that is a good prayer at all. That is a wicked, proud prayer, Mrs. Mara Rock. Why shouldn't your daughter really toil as well as other people's daughters? I'd like to be informed,' said Clara, mockingly, as they both took their seats at the table." I think, dear Clara, that you must have contracted some of your eccentric little friend Capitola's ways from putting on her habit. I never before saw you in such gay spirits, said Mrs. Rock, as she poured out the coffee. Oh, Mamma, it is but the glad rebound of the freed bird. I am so glad to have escaped from that dark prison of the hidden house and to be here with you. But tell me, Mamma, is my old home occupied? No, my dear, no tenant has been found for it. The property is in the hands of an agent to let but the house remains quite vacant and deserted. "'Why is that?' asked Clara. "'Why, my love, for the strangest reason. The foolish country people say that since the doctor's death the place has been haunted.' "'Haunted?' "'Yes, my dear, so the foolish people say, and they get wiser ones to believe them.' "'What exactly do they say? I hope—I hope they do not trifle with my dear father's honoured name and memory.' "'Oh, no, my darling, no.' but they say that although the house is quite empty and deserted by the living, strange sights and sounds are heard and seen by passers-by at night. Lights appear at the upper windows, from which pale faces look out. "'How very strange!' said Clara. "'Yes, my dear, and these stories have gained such credence that no one can be found to take the house.' "'So much the better, dear Mamma, for if the new judge of the orphans' court should give a decision in our favour, as he must when he hears the evidence—' old and new, you and I can move right into it, and need not then enter the shirt-making line of business. Heaven grant it, my dear. But now, Clara, my love, we must lose no time in seeing Dr. Williams, lest your guardian should pursue you here, and give you fresh trouble. Clara assented to this, and they immediately arose from the table, cleared away the service, put the room in order, and went upstairs to put on their bonnets, Mrs. Rock lending Clara her own best bonnet and shawl. When they were quite ready, they locked up the house, and set out for the town. It was a bright, frosty, invigorating winter's morning, and the two friends walked rapidly until they reached Dr. Williams' house. The kind old man was at home, and was much surprised and pleased to see his visitors. He invited them into his parlour, and when he had heard their story, he said, "'This is a much more serious affair than the other. We must employ counsel. Witnesses must be brought from the neighbourhood of the hidden house.' You are aware that the late judge of the Orphans' Court has been appointed to a high office under the government at Washington. The man that has taken his place is a person of sound integrity, who will do his duty. It remains only for us to prove the justice of our case to his satisfaction, and all will be well. Oh, I trust in heaven that it will be, said Mara fervently. You too must stay in my house until the affair is decided. You might possibly be safe from real injury— but you could not be free from molestation in your unprotected condition at the cottage, said Dr. Williams. Clara warmly expressed her thanks. You had better go home now and pack up what you wish to bring, and put out the fire, and close up the house and come here immediately. In the meantime, I will see your dear father's solicitor, and be ready with my report by the time you get back, said Dr. Williams, promptly taking his hat to go. Mrs. Rock and Clara set out for the cottage, which they soon reached. Throwing off her bonnet and shawl, Clara said, now, Mamma, the very first thing I shall do will be to write to Travers, so that we can send the letter by to-day's mail, and set his mind at rest. I shall simply tell him that our mutual letters have failed to reach their destinations, but that I am now on a visit to you, and that while I remain here nothing can interrupt our correspondence. I shall not speak of the coming suit until we see how it will end. 
Mrs. Rock approved this plan, and placed writing materials on the table. And while the matron employed herself in closing up the rooms, packing up what was needful to take with them to the doctor's, and putting out the fire, Clara wrote and sealed her letter. They then put on their bonnets, locked up the house, and set out. They called at the post office just in time to mail their letter, and they reached the doctor's house, just as he himself walked up to the door, accompanied by the lawyer. The latter greeted the daughter of his old client and her friend, and they all went into the house together. In the doctor's study the whole subject of Clara's flight and its occasion was talked over, and the lawyer agreed to commence proceedings immediately. End of chapter 41